Hey there, thoughtful listener. This is Josh Elledge, CEO of UpMyInfluence.com. I'm so excited to announce our new Thoughtful Entrepreneur High Ticket Sales Coaching Program, which you can try absolutely free. No credit card needed. Head to upmyinfluence.com slash free. We're also actively seeking guests for our daily commercial-free entrepreneurial inspiration podcast, the one you're listening to. If you know someone who is doing six to eight figures in business, send them our way. Just go to upmyinfluence.com slash guest. Now let's get on with the show. And with us right now, it's Dan Norenberg. Dan, you are the CEO of Dan Norenberg Executive Owner Shift. You're found on the web at dannorenberg.com. Dan, thank you for joining us. Thank you, Josh, for having me. It's a pleasure. And what does what is executive ownership? Executive ownership is the term, the framework that I've given to a transformational growth process for executive and strategic leadership teams. That's the work that I do. I help executive teams and strategic teams uh, improve their leadership performance and organizational results. Yeah. All right. Well, how do we do that? Well, there's a, before, I, before I say how I do it, let me tell you a little bit about maybe, maybe just a slight bit about my backstory, because I think that can also be interesting for the listeners. I'm also a Midwest guy like you are. I grew up in Iowa, uh, studied psychology and criminology, went to California. I'm not an engineer, so I ended up in marketing and sales roles with technology companies for about 10 years, thought I was going to spend the rest of my life in California. When the company that I was with went out of business, I grabbed a backpack, closed the apartment, girlfriend and I had broken up and sold the house and came to Europe for a nine day holiday. I always wanted to come to Europe, but I was always playing sports in high school and college and never really took that time in the summer. And I came to Europe for nine days. Josh, it knocked my socks off. And I went to Paris and Geneva and came up through, went to London. And I got to this little sleepy village called Munich, which is in the southern part of Germany, also home of Oktoberfest. <laughs> and it just kind of felt kind of a little bit like Iowa, but it was also kind of international. And I just sort of thought, you know, I'm in my early 30s. I can go back to the States, which I love, two and a half kids, two and a half cars, uh, <laughs> and the whole works. But I thought, you know, what would my life be like if I spent just a little bit of time in Europe? And so... I just stayed. And now that nine day holiday is now 30 years. I didn't speak a word of German. I didn't know a single person and I didn't have any right to work here because I'm American and then build a seven figure consulting and coaching practice um, called Envision Learning that I ran for 25 years. Yeah. I, I, and I'm just curious. And I don't know if, you know, if it's different today than it was when you started. Uh, but, you know, can you know, if you're in Germany, can you just like, OK, well, I, I can't work here. No one's going to hire me. So I'm just going to start a business. And I, I'm wondering what that process is like. That's a great question, Josh. I, I love the way you question because I've listened to a lot of your episodes. And I think what it does, maybe for the listeners, what it helps, what at least when I, when I reflect back on it, the way you ask that question, it's about how do we deal with constraint? How yeah. do we as entrepreneurs deal with um, something that's not possible or a door that's shut. And we know that innovation and creativity happens most when we're under constraint, right? And for me, you know, I started looking for jobs. You know, I started looking for marketing and sales jobs, German companies doing business in America and American companies doing business in Germany. And, you know, I'd finally find somebody that spoke English. This was like 30 years ago. And they'd say, well, how's your German? I said, oh, I don't have any. They say, what about your work papers? I say, I don't have any. They'd say, come back in two or three years when you speak German, you have work papers. And, you know, for an American guy, two or three years is like an eternity. 
And so what I recognize is there were a whole lot of, you know, sort of like language schools out there teaching English. And there were a whole lot of really high level academic management training in German. But what was missing, and I always had a passion for coaching and training. I feel that's the lifeblood of an organization. There was what was missing in the market was this, uh, what I would call real action learning in, in English for the international business person. And that was the niche that I went after. And then yeah. I just set myself up as a self-employed person. And the Germans were very happy to accommodate, take my tax money. And I wasn't a burden, um, you know, had to get insurances and do all that kind of stuff. And I just set myself up and then that was okay. So one thing that you talk about in the book, Executive Ownership, is um, you get, and this is a really pertinent topic, right? It is, you know, low employee engagement um, is that I... You know, and, and I hear this a lot, I think, especially if we think generationally about the importance to make sure that we're creating a culture um, where, where people can feel like they're a part of something. You know, it's, it's just not enough to say, I'm going to pay you this and this is the work you're going to do, fully transactional, and that's it. That, that, that's not enough today. Yeah, you're, you're right. And, and, you know, we got to look at where does that start? Where does the culture of engagement start? And also often today, organizations start with engagement programs at the bottom of the organization, not the top of the organization. Mm. And I've worked at the bottom, I've worked in the middle. And what I've realized is if you want to create transformation, change, high engagement, high performance, that has to start at the top of the organization. And even at the top of the organization, those leaders that are savvy enough to start with some kind of development work or improve their leadership sort of capability so that they can create a more engaging environment, they often do it with an individual coach. Now, there's nothing wrong with individual coaching, but what I realized and really my claim to fame, my real niche in the market is that I work with leadership teams as intact teams. I think for far too long, um, in the learning and development area, we've been investing far too much time in coaching players and not in coaching teams. If we look at sports or music or any sort of uh, venture that requires people working together, it's a team construct. And leadership, in my eyes, is a team construct, not an individual endeavor like we see sometimes today. You know, and I love the focus, I think, culturally, when you know, we have those conversations as a leadership team, and we hope that that gets disseminated. And, you know, obviously there's broad communication to make sure throughout the organization that, you know, that we have a very customer-centric approach, right? That that it it's not about, um, you know, quarterly earnings reports, although those are important, um, you know, and I think that those are a metric of, a customer-centric approach, right? If we truly are enacting impact at the customer level per our mission, then those other things should be the natural byproduct, not the, the main drivers. I mean, very, very well put, very well put. And, you know, coming, there are two parts that let's impact two parts to what you just said, which I think were very profound. One is, whether it's about at the engagement level, what often happens is at the very senior level, they'll sign off on, let's say, a, an engagement mandate. It's signed off and then usually implemented with the best intentions by an HR group or a special project team. This is what I call um, executive authorship. 
And there's a difference between authorship and ownership. People don't do what we say, they do what we do. That's why my work is about working with leadership teams and helping them understand the small things that they do that maybe they kind of ignore, they don't deal with anymore, that don't lead to high engagement in the organization. For example, recently I was working with a, a multinational client um, and it was two functions. It was R&D and sales and it was a real toxic environment in their collaboration. And they were talking about, you know, using one of the big classic consulting companies and something like that, bringing a lot of people to do interviews and things like that. They also asked me to come in because of my relationship with one of the board members. And I simply said, you know, what is the relationship between the head of R&D and the head of sales? at the board level. Those are the two head people in this particular situation. And they told me those two people can't stand to be in the same room together. Now, there's no need to do a big collaboration, I love you, you love me piece between two functions or try to build some big project about strategic unity if the two people at the top of those functions can't be in the same room with each other. That's where it starts. And that's, that's an ownership in my book. So that would be the point I would say about that. And, and your point about customer centricity is really important. In my book, I describe it as how do, you, how do we operate in such a way that we put the customer at the center of everything that we do? Yeah. And that yep. starts also in the leadership team. So my question would be, uh, first thing I do is do some auditing and some questionnaires and things like that, you know, a bunch of interviews. And then I'll feed that back to the uh, management board and say, how many times, and they'll say the customer is really important to us. And I'll say, well, how many times was the customer even mentioned in these 25 interviews? Mm -hmm. Less than 2% of the time. Internal tension, something like that, as an example. Oh, no. So, so the, the leadership teams can do uh, have a big role in making sure that the employees of an organization are being touched by the customers. So a lot mm -hmm. of the work that I do is simply about helping um, organizations bring customers into different focus groups, people that normally wouldn't have access to the customer. And it's absolutely profound. You know, that if you and I say something to a customer, it's one thing, but when their customers say the same thing to them, it has curious 10 times the weight. I, you know, you've worked with some really great companies that uh, a lot of people would recognize the names, uh, you know, in particular, uh, you know, I'm in Orlando. So I see, you know, Walt Disney company, and I don't know when that was, how long ago, or if you recall much of the engagement there, but uh, wh what's it like working with a Disney well, or a company like them? Well, they're a company that's got just an, an you know, an, an, an absolute world-class brand you know, but they're also people who are working in, you know, challenging situations. So I, what I would just say about Disney without going into details, they're very, very committed to a people excellence process and ensuring that everybody in their organization has opportunities. So I'm not really at liberty to go into the nature of the projects themselves, mm -hmm. but it's, it was a wonderful experience. You know, companies like uh, Disney and Lego and BMW, for example, where the brand is so strong and people can really identify it because they see it in their neighbor's house or in their neighbor's driveway or or you're visiting it in Orlando twice a year or watching it now on, on a streaming situation. <laughs> yeah. What, um, you know, if someone is thinking, because you know, I think a lot of times, right, when, when we have a problem culturally or within our organization, we're, we're seeing the oftentimes the um 
you know, kind of the end result. And, and those become the most notable, noticeable things. Um, low turnover, um, departments are really underperforming, things like that. Um, you know, th- those are the um, symptoms uh, that, that we see. And, and sometimes it does take quite a bit of digging to get to the root cause. Um, but, but how does one, let's say someone may not be at the level where they're ready to work with you. Maybe they're just an SMB. They're like, look, you know, we've got about 30 people on the team and, you know, it's just, there's no sense of esprit de corps. <laughs> you know, are, are there some, you know, is there an exercise or something like that that you'd recommend that they could start to uncover? Wait a minute. Here's what's really festering under. We're missing X. Right? And what might that be? You know, how yeah. could they discover that is a better question. Yeah. yeah, good question. Well, you know, first of all, in addition to my work with, you know, uh, multinational organizations, I also work with startups, which, mm. which are in the even even low millions. So I really like to spread my um, expertise and the experiences because I'm also learning from my clients. So it's the names and that you see on the website are certainly, you know, uh, global multinationals, but there's a whole variety of clients that I work with. So, um, but in regard to your question, I think there's a, there's a couple different things that we can address there. I mean, number one, if, if I'm thinking about it, you know, the classic leadership team, there are usually three areas that they have immediate opportunities to um, to 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 really address, which will have an impact in every aspect of their organization, and one of those is um, is tapping into to what degree does the leadership team have a clear and worthy goal of what future success looks like. Now, it's pretty easy to rattle off wow. numbers and statistics and market share and stuff like that. But yeah. Let me tell you something. In today's volatility, whether you're a small business or a large business, it's it's not easy to craft a vision that is both clear and worthy for the future. And oftentimes teams get frustrated with that and they just drop down to what they've always been doing and then you have a multitude of problems. So that's that's number one. Um, they can check to see to what degree is that vision clear and, and is it worthy? Are people excited and attached to it? And the second thing is that um, only five out of 100 leadership teams have a systematic approach for continuous improvement in their leadership team. So this is where I so give them some tough love because my my stance is if you don't have a process for continuous improvement in your leadership team, how can you possibly drive continuous improvement across an organization, whether it's 15 people or whether it's 50 people or whether it's 500 people? So you've got to take the work home. That's the ownership. You know, yeah. and the third thing, which is related to that, is that I'll often go in with it. You know, I've got one around here. It's an oxygen mask. You know, it's it's on every plane on, to every destination on every flight. And what does the flight attendant remind us? That we first have to use the oxygen mask first to take care of ourselves before we can take care of someone else. Yep. And all too often, even a small organization, small founding organizations, or even mid-sized companies, there are so many, let's say, uh, organizational fires to fight in the organization or customers to serve that they often overlook the the basic fundamentals of what's the health of our leadership team how do we talk to each other how are we collaborating you know where do we have miscommunication and where is our strategy not clear and so you've got to you know work on the business before you can work in the business and i would say those are some it's not rocket science, but that doesn't make it easy. It takes discipline and focus to be able to pull out of the operational business and say, 
we're going to go offsite for a day or two and talk about things that are important for our future and our team and and um, put the fires at bay for a bit. Yeah, there will always I'm a big fan of systems, you know, whether we're talking organizations or families, <laughs> mom and dad are having issues. Guess what? That's going to trickle down to the dog, yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah. and the kids and everybody Absolutely. else. Um, so, you know, at your website, Dan, and again, your website is Dan. Norenberg.com. Um, you know, someone's like, okay, Dan's a smart guy. All right. What would you recommend that they engage? You know, how do they begin that engagement with you? Particularly, you know, if they've got leadership teams and and they're like, you know, there's been some tension over this past couple of years in particular, which totally normal. Um, you know, there's been a lot of, you know, things I don't think we were expecting, uh, and a lot of new challenges that that I think is really stress test great leaders uh, yes. and, and great folks that are I think are well meaning in their heart, but these new challenges are, you know, it, it's it's a lot to ask. And so um, I love the idea of listen if you're a leader and you're listening to this right now. You know, if it's if you've had some challenges in the past and maybe some stresses within the organization, uh, I, I like the idea of, you know, forgiving yourself a little bit because we're all doing the best we can. But now is the time to take action and, and say, OK, here's what it is and here's what the past is. And, and Dan, if they were to work with you, what might be some of those great first steps? Well, I, I think I think first of all, I mean, obviously, uh, the relationships that I have with clients are really built on trust, and people have to understand a little bit about who I am and my expertise and whether my approach is appropriate for them. So, just a couple of steps to maybe connect with me. First of all, they could reach out to me on LinkedIn. I post a, a great deal of really content that you can use on LinkedIn, uh, and there's a lot of people that engage with you there. You can go to my website and take a look. Does this stuff make sense to somebody who says we're struggling a little bit? Um, and number three, you can go to the my YouTube channel because I post a lot of real-time, I mean, real leadership situations in which I capsulate you know, the solution that this leader and I discussed to help them out of a tough situation. They call, they're called Nornberg's 90 Seconds, but there's a whole bunch of stuff there. I've also mm. written a book called Executive Ownership, Creating Highly Effective Leadership Teams, which is a good read. You'll pick that up and you'll get some ideas there. So that's the first thing. And the second thing I say is then just reach out to me. You know, with today, what we've learned, if we've learned anything in the last two years, is that there's a lot of stuff that can be done virtually. I mean, I work in the US, I work in Asia, I work all over Europe, but I also do a lot of work over Teams and Zoom and um, and things like that. So they could reach out there and, and have a conversation. And there's things to, to work together with the team, or it could simply be as an advisory role to help help a leader maybe turn one or two degrees in one direction to give them a yep. new insight on how to deal with something. Yeah. And and the the ripple effect of that one to two degrees throughout an organization is very real and very impactful ultimately uh, to that end level customer. So yeah, Dan Norenberg again. Your website dannorenberg.com. Dan, thank you so much for joining us. And again, your book, of course, is Executive Ownership. Um, you know, when you go to Dan's website, you'll see it's right up front and at the top. There's a link. You can go to Amazon.com and and pick that up. So, Dan, thank you so much for joining us. Pleasure. Thank you, Josh.
Thanks for listening to the Thoughtful Entrepreneur Show. If you are a thoughtful business owner or professional who would like to be on this daily program, we have an audience of over 120,000 that we would love to promote your story to. Please visit upmyinfluence.com slash guest. I'm also so excited to announce our new Thoughtful Entrepreneur High Ticket Sales Coaching Program, which you can try absolutely free. No credit card needed. Head to upmyinfluence.com slash free. If you got something out of this interview, would you share this episode on social media? Just do a quick screenshot with your phone and text it to a friend or post it on the socials. If you do that, tag us with the hashtag upmyinfluence. Each month, we scour Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook, and Instagram. We pick one winner from each platform, and you get crowned king or queen of that social media. What do you win? Well, we will promote you and retweet you and re-share you and your business to over 120,000 social media fans totally free. Can you also hook us up in your podcast player right now? please give us a thumbs up or a rating and review. And we promise to read it all and take action. Thank you if you've done this already. We believe that every person has a message that can positively impact the world. Your feedback helps us fulfill that mission. And while you're at it, please hit that subscribe button. You know why? Tomorrow, that's right, seven days a week, you are going to be inspired and motivated to succeed. 15 to 20 minutes a day. My name's Josh Elledge. Let's connect on the socials. You'll find all the stuff we're doing at upmyinfluence.com. Thanks for listening and thank you for being a part of the Thoughtful Entrepreneur Movement. Thank you.